Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Hey, this is Ed Fallon with Charles Goldman. We're broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Market and Cafe. Hey, a quick shout out to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. And if, you, and if you're in the Des Moines area, there is an open jam session happening somewhere every Tuesday. All right, Charles, uh, let's a uh, quick review of the program here. Later in the program, Charles is going to share his mailbox with us. And I uh, mean, I could hate mail. He, he gets mail from Trump. What's <laughs> well? Uh, and then we're also going to talk about the new Speaker of the U.S. House. Um, Scary stuff, honestly. And then finally, Kathy Burns is going to join me. We're going to be talking about the war over water among California's carrot farmers. But first, it is my pleasure to welcome to the program Dan Castrigano. He's with uh, Flight Free USA. Hello, Dan. Welcome. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me on the program today. And I know you've been uh, you've been at this a while. I, I, I read that back in nineteen or twenty nineteen, rather, you um, had discovered that eighty five percent of your emissions were coming from flying. And that uh, led you to take a pledge not to fly anymore. That's correct. Yeah. So um, had flown, you know, a significant amount my whole life. Um, woke up to the climate emergency, did some numbers, talked to some folks, found um, Ariella Granite, who uh, co-founded Flight for USA, um, inspired by Greta and others, um, and have chosen to stay grounded because of the climate emergency since then. So no overseas travel. No overseas travel. I mean... You know, you could get on a cargo ship or there are a couple of other kind of ways to get to different continents. But um, I've been in North America since yeah. 2019. Yeah. Dan, well, can you give us just, you know, give the audience an idea of, let's say, a flight from, you know, Logan to LAX. What, what is your mission profile as a single passenger on that plane? Yeah, I don't have I don't know if I have a great answer to that. I think it would be a couple tons or so. Um so there are a lot, a lot of ways to look at it, you know, um, what's left for, you know, um, anyway, the UN has basically said there's no credible pathway to 1.5 degrees Celsius where we're going to hit catastrophic and irreversible tipping points. Um, so there's like, you know, there is no budget basically for luxury emissions. Right. Um, and then, you know, sort of comparably to a lot of the global South, you know, people's mm. annual annual emissions um, and sort of looking at uh, wealth inequality and, and colonialism. And um, but I think, you know, a, a couple of tons, I think, yeah. would be my estimate. Well, and, and I actually, Charles, believe it or not, I, have a, I do have a good answer for that question because I researched that leading up to this conversation. Uh, you know, I, I have family all over the country, uh, literally uh, two different, you know, three, three different three different corners of the U.S., and so uh, and Kathy and I have been driving to visit, and uh, I calculated a 5,000-mile trip in our Prius, which gets 53.1 miles per gallon. Depending on the temperature outside. Well, right now it does. It's pretty good, huh? So but I calculated that uh, that, would, that, that would emit uh, 0.8 metric tons of carbon dioxide. If we were to fly the same 5,000-mile trip, 22 metric tons. So it's a huge mm. difference. It's, what, uh, 25 times as much to About, fly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's huge. And, you know, what troubles me, Dan, is the extent to which communities are going hog wild on expanding airports, even building new airports. I understand in Salt Lake City, they're building an entire new airport. And some of these expand, like the, the expansion in L.A., $30 billion. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these expansions are just off the charts cost wise. And they're also just going to make it more and more impossible to meet any kind of carbon reduction goals. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for fact checking me too. And yeah, the I've that was lowballing the the enormous impact of aviation. Um, so thanks for doing the research. Um, yeah, I mean there are airports all over the world that are expanding. I know and have learned about your fight in Des Moines. Um, I have you know activist friends fighting uh, the expansion of the Oakland Airport, and you mentioned other places around here, and even uh, the airport here in Burlington. And it's under the guise of you know greenwashing, like. Uh, improvements and like a lot of other language that really um, hides what's being done. But there are now more gates, which means there can be more flights um, every single day. And um, aviation is set to triple by 2050. um, And we need to immediately ground planes because of the climate emergency. 
um, and we've acted, you know, um, we've done that uh, when there have been emergencies before. Um, and, you know, endless expansion and, you know, GDP, exponential GDP growth forever um, is unsustainable on a planet with finite resources. Well, there's also a, a huge uh, pollution cost to construction of, you know, these, mm. these huge airports. I mean, people neglect, you know, figuring in the concrete, the asphalt, all the associated equipment that's out there. Just doing this itself is a huge toll. But how do you, how do you fight the pollution. argument that, well, we need the jobs? I mean, it'd be beyond the whole issue. We need the additional capacity for air travel. We need the jobs. I mean, a lot of people are going to be employed in the $30 billion Los Angeles airport expansion. Uh, a lot of people are going to be employed here in the close to $1 billion airport expansion. How do you argue against the jobs? Dan, do you have any experience with that? Certainly, yeah, and that's used all the time as, you know, but what about the economy? Um, you know, we need a Green New Deal or a Green New Deal-like package where you tax rich people and you build a high-speed rail network across this continent um, as fast as possible. Um, and when you look at trains, um, you know, in Japan and Europe and other places, and then you look at our, like, dinosaur infrastructure of Amtrak, it's just um, kind of pathetic in comparison. Um, so... Uh, high-speed rail would be yeah, and um, it, my response. And it's not like we didn't once have good rail transit in this country. Mm -hmm. I mean, you used to be able to get to a lot of small towns around Iowa with a with a train system. Mm -hmm. It's like it was it was forced out by by more powerful political interests, including you know the oil industry, the automobile industry, and yeah, and it seems like we just are incapable of going back. We're capable here in Polk County. Of, a, of, a, of proposing a $350 million bond for an airport, but where's the $350 million bond for high-speed rail? Yeah, I completely agree. And the lobbying by the fossil fuel industry, by the aviation industry, by the automotive industry, and you know, after Citizens United, what is essentially legal bribery um, uh, in campaigns, right? Yeah. And so that's why you get airport expansion and highway expansion you know, widening lanes. I think there are proposals in maybe Austin, Texas, or in Utah, you know, one more lane um, for just billions and billions and billions of dollars instead of investing in rail, which is what we should be doing. Yeah, well, in, in, in central Iowa, they're talking about six-laning the highway from Des Moines 30 miles north to Ames. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's that's, just absolutely bonkers. And, and it goes against, if you're familiar with the concept of induced demand, where, you know, one more lane isn't going to fix it. It's going to draw more people to drive and it will be, you know, the traffic will be the same, you know, very quickly. I'm familiar with the reality. I was not familiar with the with the term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's called induced demand. Yeah. So in sort of the urban design and kind of the um, anyway, like uh, cars are terrible <laughs> network of activists. Um, yeah, that's called induced demand. Huh, okay. So if you build more, you know, if you build more lanes or more streets, you know, more parking, you know, more people are going to drive because it's convenient, and then it'll kind of settle again in that same spot where people are comfortable with that level of traffic. And the same thing applies to airport expansions. Build more terminals, more capacity, and more people will fly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where does your organization, you know, try to advocate and, and you know, what pressure points do you find are most most helpful in terms of pushing your, you know, suggestions I, yeah. I don't want to say agenda because that's that's always a bad term these days, you know. Yeah, it's really hard, you know. Um, you know, the flight free movement uh, encourages people to sign up for a flight free year, or to stay grounded, you know, for their entire lives because of the climate emergency, or you know, to take a flight diet. Uh, sort of among these, among other things, um, it's it's incredibly difficult. And what what I thought what what might be kind of a, a cultural transformation when the climate movement was kind of at its peak in 2019 hasn't happened. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, some of my flight free friends and I uh, are doing more direct action organizing, um, you know, going after fossil fuel companies, uh, among other things. Um, I think flight free is a great place for people to be seen um, and to know that what they're doing matters. Um, and, you know, sh shifting against the, the inertia, you know, this kind of monstrous behemoth, you know, moving, you know, in the direction of, you know, several hundred million dollar airport expansions, you know, 
is uh, is a quite difficult task. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the the cost is astounding as well. I know some of the people, you know, locally I've heard from who are against this. Their climate is not on their radar, but fiscal responsibility is, and they do they they cannot stomach the thought of spending three hundred fifty million bucks putting the local taxpayers on the hook for 350. But one of the arguments the airport proponents are using is that, well, it's going to be cheap. We're going to save $70 million if we use the county's bonding authority rather than the airport authority's bonding ability. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, that's, for some, that's a hard argument to argue against. But the reality is we don't know for sure the airport's going to pay back that bond. And I wonder if that's the case around the country. Maybe you know, are, are some of these other... Uh, funding initiatives for airport expansions around the country are those all, you know, panning out the way they were expected? I know one that isn't, and that was Houston. Uh, Houston, the original price tag was seven hundred million bucks. It's now one point three billion. So, I mean, are we seeing more of those kinds of um, fiscal concerns around the country? Yeah, I I don't really have much to offer in that perspective, other than what you probably already know is that whatever is estimated, it's you know almost certainly going to be way less than how much it will actually cost. Right. Well, I mean, that was the case. Um, that was the case here because yeah. these plans for the airport here have been out there for quite a while. Yeah. But then, of course, they got keep going waylaid by COVID. And then, obviously, the inflation that occurred after that, which, you know, of course, the Republicans spend all their time blaming Biden for, but it was just simple economics that was going to happen. Um, has driven the price of all these kinds of infrastructure projects up much higher. Yeah. So, Dan, you mentioned uh, you were involved with uh, with uh, nonviolent action, I believe. I can't remember the exact term you used, but uh, what else are you doing relevant to your concerns about the climate crisis? Yeah, so, yeah, I'm taking part in um, direct action, you know, in Vermont and around, um, you know, other places too. Um, and I believe that's the most effective tactic Um you know, so I've done actions related to stopping fossil fuel finance. So um, targeting the fossil banks like J.P. Morgan Chase and Citibank, which have lent hundreds of billions of dollars to new fossil fuel projects since the Paris Agreement in 2015. Um, you know, actions, um, you know, looking at uh, there's one coal plant left in New England. Um, so it's just involved in some organizing around that um, this weekend. Um but uh, like other non-flyers, actually, um, you know, Peter Kalmus, who's a climate scientist and activist, there are a lot of folks who, and I have great respect for them, who have chosen not to fly and also engage in direct action and civil disobedience, mm -hmm. um, sort of, you know, the very soft cultural push and shift in storytelling and also the, you know, the direct action, you know, going after mm -hmm. those who are uh, destroying uh, our planet. Are you uh, are you engaged in any of the uh, any any direct action relevant to the Republican presidential candidates who are you know spending a bit of time in New Hampshire this year? Um, that's not really on my radar. Okay, no, curious. Um, yeah, but I. I mean, it's a clown. It's a clown car. Clown <laughs> car of climate deniers. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, it's, just... it's. I mean, I remember the moment during the primary where I think what nobody raised their hand or whatever, and it's just kind of. You know, you're just seeing anti-science yeah. fascism kind of playing out in real time, which is yeah. kind of odd. Just, I mean, how, how does your group see um, how we would energize a high-speed rail in the United States? You know, are we talking electrification of all rail or what, what, is, what is the plan that would make it much more carbon-friendly? Because clearly yeah, doing um, what they're doing now with diesel is not going to be carbon-friendly. Yeah, diesel's not great. Um, better than, you know, hurtling our bodies in metal tubes, you know, 30,000 feet. Uh, um, it's definitely better. But <laughs> well, it's probably it's, it's, it's definitely safer than, than being on the rails at <laughs> this point. Maybe we should always describe <laughs> air, air travel in those exact words, Dan. <laughs> That is, I, I, I do use that. Well, I try to... Well, people have that view of it. Yeah. Well, they do. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's why people are scared of flying. I mean, yeah. they, you know... Even all the yeah. statistics are just the other, which is you're more likely to be killed in a car accident on the way to the airport. But yeah, um, yeah. people have fears of it, no question. Yeah, no, really. I mean, I you know describing it as hurtling our bodies in metal tubes at thirty thousand feet at hundreds of miles an hour. Yeah, and I say that to just highlight the amount of energy it takes right. to do that. Okay. Right, like it takes so much energy, 
to, you know, you can like lift that much weight that high. Um, and like the friction on rail tracks is so low. Um, you know, it kind of astounds me. Uh, we, you probably saw the news out this week about the Antarctic that the, um, the, uh, ice melt in the West of the Antarctic, I think that's probably the, the Thwaites glacier, I believe is mm-hmm. in- inevitable. Um, and it's, it's moving faster than expected. And if it does, when it does, uh, sea level will be at, what, about 15 feet above current level. I looked that up, by the way, and discovered that that would, um, that would threaten about 24 U.S. airports. There's some irony to that. <laughs> well, they can come yeah. submarine bases. Yeah, yeah they, they can become submarine bases, right. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, you know, yeah. we're going to witness by disaster or design. Yeah. Um, you know, very, very quick transformation of everything. And that, yeah, that joins, you know, the fact that no matter what we do, um, we will have no summer sea ice in the Arctic. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of a, a tipping point that is now gone. Well, Dan, um, and that is that and, that, and that's just the facts, you know. We got to run to a break. Uh, Dan, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've been, yeah, uh, I really appreciate being on the show. Um, Thanks so much for having me. We've been talking to uh, Dan Castrogano. He's with uh, Flight Free USA, Charles Goldman, and Ed Fallon with the Here Folks. We're going to take you out with uh, this version of Leaving on a Jet Plane. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Six-hour flight, and I'm in coach. It's like a DMV up in the sky. There's a kid behind me, he's kicking my seat. The plane is packed tight, it smells like wet feet. And now the kid behind me starts to cry. So kick me and sneeze on me. Tilt your seat back till you crush my knees. Have three drinks and find me suddenly attractive. I'm flying. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Hey, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to the Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese, CPM is focused on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine and the Middle East, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you here. And um, I get interesting mail. I shared some of it last week. Charles gets interesting mail as well. Not as personal. That's but, true. But, but, um, but almost maybe even more painful. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think one of the questions that always comes up is, why is it that the Magaverse never seems to be dealing in the same facts that, you know, perhaps 
the rest of the United States polity is dealing in. Um, you know, and, and the, you know, the usual blame goes to Fox News. But, you know, the, the reality is that um, traditional media outlets are becoming much less important in terms of dissemination of news than the various outlets via the Internet. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that is, is interesting to consider is that, you know, the mainstream social media, which used to be a big driver of people to more traditional media outlet sites on the Internet are really kind of disengaging from their linkage. So we already know a lot of people are getting their only information from things like Facebook. Right. You know, and whether like, it's poli the political left or right, you can pretty much choose what type of news you'd like to hear. That's correct. So you can, yeah. you can, but not only that, what happens is that when you go out there, um, it's all self-referential. So if, you, if you're linked to a site, like for instance, I get, um, you know, I get like three, four emails a day from Donald J. Trump. And then I also get like two a day from Junior, you know, Kusei. Um, and <laughs> it's, good, it's good to know that it's good to know that the son has acquired his father's writing skills. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and you know, they'll Trump never references himself to anything from his website, from his uh, you know uh, screeds to anything other than what he's already said in a speech or a rally. So he just he just references what he, what he just continually says, which of course is I won that in twenty twenty, and yeah. I, and I want you to send me a buck. Yeah. I mean, like the last one I just got from him this morning, um, you know, and then, it, you know, Sun Jr. sends out things which reference to Breitbart and then Breitbart references to the other slew of the Daily Caller and all the other sites. And they're all saying the same thing. Right. And so you're, you're caught so, in this. But, but people are hearing the same message over and over, over and over yeah. again. And well, the same, same with talk radio, present company excluded. I mean, most of the uh, talk shows you'll find on commercial radio are... Far right. I mean, not even just traditional Republican or, you know, you know, conservative, but far right stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it's the same message over and over again. Same it, message. It is. It is very uniform. And, you know, what's what's happening is that the tech companies are somewhat disengaging from especially the media outlets where there's a paywall because um, the media companies are saying you're using our material essentially for free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they want some kind of recompense from, from these tech companies. So at this point, uh, like in September 2020, you know, toward the height of the, of the pandemic, uh, about 11% of the web traffic to uh, media sites came from social networks. And as of this year, it's down to 6%. And on things like TikTok and Instagram, the uh, traffic to media sites has gone down to almost un unmeasurable. And Google News, which was one of the biggest sort of links, has just fired, you know, four, 45 people in their news division. So increasingly, it's, the, you know, people are in this... What were they fired over? I had not heard just, that. Just because they're de-emphasizing oh, okay, okay. Their, their linkage with the news. You know, so... But not because they were canceled for... No, 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 no. They weren't incorrect. canceled by the okay. woke left or anything. Okay, all right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of, you know, what goes on is is just, again, this 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 self-referential, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, like today, I, my Trump email of the morning, I'm sure I'll get another one this afternoon, you know, is the Biden gag order referencing the fraud trial. And, you know... It wasn't Biden's decision. Of course not. But yeah. this is every day, this is what it is. You know, so, and every, you're always a patriot if you're supporting Trump. Mm -hmm. right. And, but he is only would like you and your fellow patriots to send him a dollar before the end of the month. You know, because they're closing out the quarter. So, um, and, you know, this is the first, <laughs> he writes, this is the first time he's asking for money since the Biden gag order, but then references an email from the 27th, which is also after the Biden gag order, which he's asking for money again. Well, Donald yeah. Trump and the truth are, are, <laughs> well, are never really I mean, frequent like, traveling companions. You look at yeah. this stuff and you, you just shake your head and say, okay, uh, okay. but... Then a couple of days ago, in, in light of the main shooting, I got my junior email. and Junior Trump. Junior Trump, right, right. right. And in this one, he's talking about why didn't the FBI go and take away the guns 
from well, the, guy, the guy, I mean, the guy never should have had a gun. I mean, the things he well, said by, and did by and the threatened. laws in Maine, right. by the laws in Maine, he owned those guns legally. And, and that's and, a mistake. That's a problem. It's a huge a problem, but this problem. is but this is because this this is you know this it's is Biden's the fault. result of Saint Scalia. It's not Biden's fault. You know, no, it's not. <laughs> well, no. See, in fact, <laughs> well, this, I mean, is, I this be... is how they flip it around. <laughs> this is how it gets flipped around in in again in this in this, this self contained magaverse. It gets flipped around that it was the FBI's responsibility, and the FBI was too busy investigating Donald Trump at Biden's request. At Biden's request, supposedly. To go do what they're supposed to do, which was to take the guns away from Robert Card. Hmm. Now, the irony of all this is that the situation in Maine is to a great degree what it is because of rulings by Republican-dominated Supreme Court um, interpreting the Constitution in a way that nobody prior to them had interpreted it Mm -hmm. in terms of the Second Amendment. And this notion that the unbridled right of gun ownership is, is... you know, almost biblical in nature. But, um, and at the same time, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, there's a case coming to the Supreme Court about whether people who have, you know, domestic uh, abuse orders, you know, non-contact orders, should nevertheless be allowed to keep their weapons, right? right? So... In Iowa, it's it's easier for a felon, and that doesn't always include a felon who's committed a crime with a gun, but you could have, you could be a felon who had committed a crime with a gun. It's easier to get your gun right back than your voting right back. Mm-hmm. Right. So the point is, is that even within this self-contained universe, the the ironies or their lack of ability to see the ironies of, the, of the arguing about taking someone's gun when they're the ones who are trying to make sure that no one's guns get taken. You know, and then, of course, we have the mental health discussion. Hmm. Now, in this case, I mean, nobody who's a mass shooter is mentally well. I mean, I don't, I don't know how anybody who, you know, like kills people from a hotel in Vegas, you know, or, you know, marches into a store and, or, and, school, and, or yeah. a school can be mentally well. So this whole issue is bogus about mental health anyway. And of course, the actuality is most people who are, who have identified mental health problems are victims of the violence rather than... Hmm the actual perpetrators of. But nevertheless, we have the usual talk in, in, this, in the MAGAverse closed universe that it's a mental health issue, right? Even Mike Johnson, now Speaker of the House, talked about that in his first interview. And we'll get to that. Right, well, yeah. yeah. And of course, the fact of the matter is that every one of the people like Governor Abbott, Mike Johnson, all these people who talk about we need to, to take care of mental health, it's the people, not the guns, do nothing for mental health. In well, fact, yeah, they, they always cut funding. They cut funding for, it. Yeah. for yeah. it. Right, and then... They get away with it because this is how they talk to the 74 million, you know, who voted for Trump. Um, you know, so that was a lot of what was going on. And then, you know, my, you know me, my fa- one of my favorite sites is, of course, Epic Times. Um, <laughs> and um, the big thing going on in Epic Times is, unfortunately, you know, Dinesh D'Souza has another, like, film out. Um, he was he was the brains behind Two Thousand Mules. Okay, was be, right. being sued by yeah. the person he identified supposedly as stuffing the ballot boxes. Sure, yeah, uh, <laughs> for defamation. Shadowy, shadowy right. video footage. Exactly with the with, with the the uh, geolocation data from the cell phones that put people within a hundred feet of ballot boxes, and a lot of people walk by that ballot box going to work, coming out of work, going to their house. Sure. But this was supposedly, you know, going to prove that people were stuffing this. So he has a new movie out, um, it, it, you know, about the police state that the socialists on the left are putting together. Right. That's um, us. Right. And of course, <laughs> you know, you read through, um, you know, kind of what D'Souza's movie is about and it's just, again, it's all this projection, you know, that the, the left is trying to set up a surveillance state in a one-party system. If anybody is trying to create a one-party system in the United States, it's obviously not the Democrats. Because, well, and some would argue that we already have a one-party system with simply two faces. Yes, I understand that. But I mean, and, and, I mean but, to some extent, I mean, yeah, there's definitely—I I push back against it. There's, there is a difference between the two parties. There is clearly but, a difference between the two parties. But when, when it comes to defending the corporate status quo, aren't both parties pretty much beholden to those special interests? 
Yes, but the end result is not is not a party which basically has taken over states to the point that they've been able to create not just gerrymanders, but you know hiding hiding the data on how those districts are created now, like they do in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to have a state in, in in the situation in North Carolina, which is basically a fifty fifty state mm-hmm. by voting, right? Which it's going to have seven? 11 out of 14 their representatives yeah. may well be Republicans. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they they truly believe that one man, one vote is a fiction. It is in North Carolina, apparently. It, it's a fiction in many places in yeah. the United States. Sure. And, Texas and that, well. again, it's, it's a fiction created by an activist mm-hmm. court, you know, an activist liberal court from the 60s. Um, and, you know, D'Souza now has this movie out about how, and it's all directed at Trump, and, we, and, and you, again, it's the same litany of things. One, the people who were there on January 6th were tourists who were led by Antifa agitators and FBI informants to do what they did. It doesn't matter that there's video of yeah. these people. And of, of, let's not forget, they came with the gallows. Right. right. Whether they were going to, I don't think they, I don't know they could have hung anybody from that gallows. But the point was they brought it with them. Yeah. And yeah, was it ever checked for uh, for I don't know the viability as an actual functioning gallows. I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, you get all this mail, and it makes, and somehow you, it, you you've not yet become a mega Republican. No, but it, but I think it 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 really becomes understandable that the inf- the information is 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 in such silos now. That people just live inside this reverberation right. but, but of the is, same thing over and I mean, over. And the same, we, we, I mean, it's not. It, it, it's a different situation on the political left, but the same to the extent that you can pretty much hear and listen to and watch whatever whatever take on the news you want. And so you're going to get the same the same perspective over and over and over again on all the issues. But what you're doing is stepping outside of that that echo chamber, and you're at least exposing yourself to what's coming through the other chamber yeah and i think and i think that i think, i mean even if it doesn't change your opinion it at least exposes you to the reality that a lot of people are digesting and i think that's important and it, and the other thing to understand is that digesting it in increasingly short snippets of information because right. people have a lot of other commitments uh obviously you know there's a lot of single parent families there's a lot of people where parents are working multiple jobs they don't necessarily have time to parse through all this information. And it's a kind of a shorthand, and it, it, it kind of appeals to certain parts of the brain to believe that there's something explicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, as I was coming over here, I was listening to NPR to a discussion of witchcraft and, you know, its history of the, of the witch trials through European and African and American history. And magical thinking, shortcuts, you know, heuristics has always been a part of the human condition, yeah. you know, at any time frame. Well, that's a, that's a great segue to our next segment, Charles, because we're going to be talking about something even more scarier than your mailbox, and that's the new House Speaker. Um, but this being Halloween week, I do want to leave you with some, uh, some seasonally appropriate Halloween music as Charles and I head out to a very short break. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood 
encourages discovery, and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, so Charles and I have been, um, well, hasn't everybody been following the debacle in the U.S. House, the incredible incapacity for, what, several weeks of the House to elect a speaker, mm -hmm. culminating, in my opinion, in demonstrating that Matt Gates is indeed the most powerful member of the U.S. House because he played this, this gamut and he won. Mm-hmm. He did. That's right. <laughs> he won. I mean, he's I mean, despite being so extreme, so off the wall, and has such a horrible personal life as well, which I don't, I don't understand how that personal life and all those, you know, d demonstrably bad things he's done don't come back. That he was Venmoing. He was Venmoing these girls the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How does that not come back to hurt him? I don't know. But anyway. Well, they just felt they didn't have enough to. They 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 did in fact um, get a. Um, you know, settlement with his partner in this, but they didn't feel that even with that, they had enough to bring Gates you know, up on charges. Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, they went through, what, four different, uh, after McCarthy was ousted, what, four different um, possible speakers? None. Three. Who... Well, it was three. Yeah. Right. And then there was a, yeah. And then along comes Mike Johnson, who I guess people don't know a lot about. Which was, I think, his main attribute. Right, and now we know a lot more about him. Well, and it is kind of scary. I, I would say there's elements of it that yes are worrisome, but he, the thing about Mike Johnson is he's not that much different than a lot of the people in our government. You know, I think people don't understand. Well, to say that we don't live in a democracy, we live in a quote biblical republic. I, you know, that's not something you hear too many. That's right. Republican he's a Christian. He's a Christian nationalist who believes that the, cre the formation of the American Republic is based on biblical principles. Yeah, and that's, and that's also false. By people who were <laughs> Christians, even though it was, it's, it's very clear many of the, the leading founding fathers were at best deists. Yeah, they, mean, they believed in some sort of natural order. Transcendentalist in some cases. Yeah, but, right. I mean, but, you know, for instance, Jefferson rewrote... The Bible. He has, you know, and eliminating a lot of the actually religious, non secular part of it, you know, and and um, so, so but I, yes, he fits in. He fits in with the with the the fundamentalist Christian nationalist movement in this country. And he was once asked on on Fox News, a, a reporter or an interviewer, I guess, asked him on Fox News to, to explain his worldview. And he said, quote, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's my worldview. Right. Well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, and maybe that's he, not— he's, he's a young earth creationist. He is he all, a— He also believes in the, that the earth is only 5,000 years old. Well, that's now? because those—these are literalists. They, they read the Bible as the literal word of God. The fact is there's multiple versions of the Bible so with different can, translations. How can, don't have any more, how can we don't have more stonings in— for the U.S. Capitol. Well, he's not calling for stoning. Well, but the Bible does. I understand that. But stoning and no in, shellfish. He fits, he fits in. 
with a group that believes that because these principles are transcendent, it's okay to make everybody else follow them. So and the, the, that's, that's, by, that's the definition of a theocracy. Th well, that's correct. I mean, the, they would say, no, we're just simply trying to reestablish the republic as it was created by the founding fathers. Which is, again, demonstrably false. Which is historically false. That's yeah. correct. Um, and it's ironic because, of course, the, the colonies themselves, at least in, you know, by the standard you know, historical rote, were for freedom of religion. Sure. I mean, that yeah, the, the Puritans came from, the Calvinists basically came from, you know, the UK, well, whatever, England at that time, you know, to be left alone. But then they, of course, came here and persecuted everybody, you know, <laughs> and persecuted everybody else. And except for a couple of the colonies where there was truly, you know, religious freedom for Jews and others. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of weird to think of Massachusetts as a colony. I mean, it was not exactly a friendly, no. uh, inclusive well, place. See Salem for details. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you, you know, I, Mike Johnson at one time was involved in trying to get funding for Noah's Ark at the Creation Museum. Oh, and that's and one of your favorite places. It's one of my favorite places, yeah. you know. And actually, I wish I understood how prescient my trip there was when I first came out to Iowa, which was in like 2007. You moved here in 07? Yes. Okay. And on my way out... Seems like you've been here forever. Yeah, on my way out, I decided I'd stop at the Creation Museum, which had just opened. Yeah. And that's in what state? Uh, it's in Lewisburg, Kentucky. Okay. And um, it, it's a young earth creationist museum. You know, and I think we've talked about this before. A lot yeah. of it's about that the Grand Canyon could have been created in 5,000 years of, of erosion. With, you know, yeah, with, enough, you know. with enough shovels. With, yeah. With, you know, that it could have happened in 5,000 years. Um, it's all very literal. Um, the dinosaurs were in the Garden of Eden with us. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, 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 I would I mean, not have wanted, it would not have been much of a Garden of Eden with dinosaurs running around. <laughs> well, and then, of course, the discussion over Noah's Ark, which is, yeah. if all the animals alive now we're on Noah's Ark. Only two of each. Don't exaggerate. Charles. I understand. But nevertheless, that means that the platypus had to be there. I don't know how it got there. If Australia was off over the ocean, you know, and this even with Pangaea, it wasn't all stuck together. All the continents weren't just one continuous plate. You know, and it's it's all about things like that. And it's it's the kind of thing where everything is in the Bible is instead of being seen as allegory or metaphor is believed to be totally literal and you have to prove why it's literal. And, you, and you're you're Jewish. I know you're not not necessarily a practicing Jew. Yeah. Right. But but don't don't most Jewish uh, Jewish people understand the the uh, the the narrative uh, the element of, of the non fundamentalist Jews see the the Old Testament as partly historical but a lot of for instance, the argument over years, right, in the Bible. Jews, for the most part, believe years is a, a, is a term that meant something different at the time. In other words, a year could have been 500,000 So Methuselah did not live 900 years. Right. He lived maybe... Well, yeah, I mean, because, again, there's all sorts of things. <laughs> there's all sorts of things yeah. in the Old Testament that don't make any sense. And... Um, it's read more as stories that are supposed to have lessons than to be read as the absolute truth of what happened. Okay, so back to our new speaker, right. Mike Johnson, literalist. I mean, he, he believes this he's, stuff literally. Yeah. He, he, he's he's probably no different gonna, than tons of people. You, you know, probably could have run into him at the museum. Well, I, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I went there in 2007, and I'm thinking, okay, this is so fringe. I understand people believe this, but the vast majority of people can't believe this. You know, and then... Donald Trump comes, hmm. you know, and all of a sudden... Who's not, who's hardly an evangelical Christian himself. Well, it's like this morning they were but arguing, they, they speaking audience. about the closed media. I'm watching MSNBC this morning, and, and you know, they're talking about how they can't understand how the Protestant fundamentalists in, in Iowa could be so down with Donald Trump hmm. because he's so antithetical to what their principles are. Well, I, I talked to one of the leaders here years, a few years ago, and I said, how can you, a, you know, a decent person... Mm -hmm. Even though we may disagree on, on the, 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 the role of you know, one's religion in public policy, you're a decent person. How do you, how do you support Donald Trump? He says, well, you know, he's, he's, a, he's not a great person, but he's going to deliver for us on abortion. And right. I think that's a, that's a big key. Mm -hmm. 
And he did deliver on abortion through the Supreme Court that he appointed. Right. And the delivery is horrible in terms of its impact on on, on hundreds of thousands of women well, but Donald, families Donald, across the U.S. You know, Donald Trump was just the culmination of something that started with Reagan, which was the Protestant fundamentalists had been basically outside the system mm-hmm. and you know, were mostly proselytizing through their church and through their beliefs for people to follow what they believed God meant. Right. I mean, you know, that's fine. People, people are absolutely entitled to do that. But what happened was that two things happened. Roe v. Wade happened, mm-hmm. followed by the decertification of the segregation schools of a lot of these, you know, southern uh, Protestant fundamentalists, and so that they had to pay taxes and it cost people a lot of money. And the you know the less than holy alliance between the Republican Party and the Protestant fundamentalists began in the seventies, and then reaches its fulfillment with Reagan. Well, and beyond. And, and yeah, I, I still, I would say it has still not reached its fulfillment. But now that we have a speaker who is, abid, is, is rapidly anti, anti-choice, he's against same-sex marriage. Uh, you know, he believes that immigration is an ex- existential threat to the country. He also says that, uh, you know, addressing climate change is an attempt to destroy capitalism. And again, he said his, he, he sees the U.S. not as a democracy, but as a biblical republic. So it looks to me like, I mean, I, I okay. So that's disturbing to have the Speaker of the House be someone of that 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 perspective. But really, how much how much power how much can he really accomplish? I mean, even even though again, well, his his rise to that position is is, is fascinating politically. Mm-hmm. How much power can he really have? Well, I, I think he, he may be able in some ways to get more done because he's not as hated as someone like Jim Jordan. And he's not as much of, you know, a um, double crosser as Kevin McCarthy. I mean, Kevin McCarthy <laughs> sold everything out just to be speaker, even, a, even <laughs> allowing that there was going to be a rule that one person could bring, you know, up a vote to take away the speakership. I mean, that's how, that's how hungry he was to be the speaker. Yeah. I think the, Which proved, proved to be right. his demise. I, yeah. I think that Johnson has so far at least shown a willingness to sit down and say, you know, to get some of these things done, I actually do need to talk to Hakeem Jeffries and the president, who are yeah. Democrats. I think the real danger of Mike Johnson is he's an election denier. There's just no way around it. And he is no different than Jim Jordan in the sense that if somehow they can maneuver, if it's close enough next year in November, if they can maneuver the election into the House of Representatives by refusing to certify certain swing states, mm-hmm. I mean, it, then he will, he will appoint Trump president. He how, will lead them to appoint Trump president. How is that not going to happen? I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think it is absolutely certainly going to happen. I mean, that, that and some really bad policy legislation. But again, I'm not so worried about the bad policy legislation because I think the U.S. Senate will probably say, eh, no. Right. But uh, that, that's the current makeup of the U.S. Senate. That could easily change. You know? That could change. Easily. I mean, you know. And one one and, senator already died this year. Well, but, you know, the irony is, is that this could all could happen in a situation where the Democrats have already flipped the House because there was an excellent piece, which maybe we'll talk about in a future show, about, you know, we've all been concerned about the gerrymanders that have favored the Republicans, but actually the Democrats in certain states have played the game pretty well. And the Democrats are in a much better position vis-a-vis gerrymandering than, you know, the... the well, you're the thinking, about, you're thinking about New York, New York, for example. Places where, like New York... Yeah. That's correct. Where the and, five and, seats could go Democratic easily. Well, as as with the, with when the they voted, ruling? well, when, when one of the when one of the supposed moderate Republicans, Michael Lawler, who I think has a district, I think just north of New York City, he was one of the Republicans who surprisingly beat um, one of the Democrats in, in a district that usually was pretty, you know, Biden Democratic oriented. Um, and when he had he and, and Mike Lawler had voted against like Jordan and. And you know was not wanting to be seen as kowtowing to the, the you know the Trumpists, and he finally voted for Mike Johnson. One of the Democratic reps leaned over and said, "Bye, Mike." Oh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this this will help in that regard as well as that some and also some of the Supreme Court decisions are probably going to force some black districts to be created in the South. 
which might be enough also. But so, you know, and this is I'm not entirely clear. So if the, um, if the House will remain in Republican control, and more importantly, uh, there are more states. The, the delegates That's the to issue. states That's are represented the in the U.S. House. Exactly. If it, if it gets thrown to the House, it's not individual members right. voting. And it's even states if, and voting. And even if Democrats pick up a bunch of seats and gain the majority. It doesn't matter because they'll gain the majority. It doesn't start till January. Right. So and, the and decision also, will already be made. So, so they'll have both the, the numerical control within the House and the number of state delegations that they need to overrule the election. The Republicans would retain it. They already have it. That's yeah. the point. Yeah, they, they'd probably retain the... Uh, they would the retain the ability to yeah. nullify the election and appoint the president. But then they'll go ahead and appoint the president anyhow. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. So how is that not going to happen? It, I mean, here's how it doesn't happen. If, if Trump outright wins the popular vote, and remember, he got 74 million votes in losing in 2020, which is more than he got in winning in 2016. You know, and it was it was it was it was discussed at four years of Trump that got Biden elected. That and the blessing of being locked inside because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I think I really I think so, and uh, that doesn't happen now. And Biden is looking more and more shaky. Uh, I mean, he he it is really obvious to anybody paying attention that he's not well. You know, I and I don't know why you buy this so so strongly. Well, I mean, you just look, listen just to Trump. No, no, no. Listen, he doesn't even know where he is. Oh, half sure, the time. Oh, sure, that's true. But just look at, just watch Biden. He's he, clearly in physical trouble. And how is that manifest in terms of policy? Uh, it doesn't, but it manifests in terms of politics and in perception. And it's that's per- what's it's a matter. perception, and it's a perception that, and and again. Trump is clearly no healthier mentally. He's not that much different in age. Yeah. You know. But, but you know. You, it, yeah. I, I just don't buy that. And yeah. the, the other thing is, there's, it's also the people around you. Yeah. Okay? I mean, look at the people Trump's going to bring in. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Hey, um, we got we to gotta, we gotta wrap up the uh, conversation. Charles. The gloves will come off in the future. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll talk more about this uh, in the next week or two, a couple of weeks. But uh, hey, i got to run to a short break. Uh, thanks, Charles, for uh, being here. Kathy Burns is going to join me when we come back. We're going to be talking about carrots and a war over water in California. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to all of our sponsors, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the program. Thank you. I know we have talked about carrots before on this program, but those are baby carrots. Now we're talking about mommy and daddy carrots. Uh, that will be maybe made into baby carrots. Well, possibly, yes. So, <laughs> well, there's a big there's a big water war going on in uh, California right now right. over the right to use irrigation material. Or use, use irrigation material. Use water to <laughs> irrigate one's water. one's carrots. And uh, the two biggest, uh, I guess, the two biggest carrot growers are the ones taking the smaller growers to court. That's right. Those two biggest growers are Grimway Farms and Bolthouse. 
farms, and the, the defendants, they're the plaintiffs, and the defendants in the lawsuit uh, are pretty small-scale farmers, uh, relatively speaking, mostly near the town of New Koyama. Uh, they raise pistachios, olives, grapes, carrots, other foods. Um, one of the farmers has said that he already owes more than $50,000 wow. in legal fees. Because he's had to respond to the lawsuit. Right. And again, you know, some of these suits get into such detail that it's you, we don't have enough time to process all of that. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's, you know, you, uh, you uh, my understanding is that back in, what, 20, 2014, mm-hmm. during that really bad drought, mm-hmm. uh, they, the state established some parameters in terms of who got to use how much water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the new state law required communities to form local groundwater sustainability agencies. They were supposed to develop plans. They were supposed to be approved by the state and how to manage their own water basins in the future. Um, And initially, both these big producers, Grimway and Bolthouse, participated in those. And since then, they've kind of... Yeah. Dropped off. In 2014, that was the year that that I and 50 people roughly walked across the U.S. for the Great March for Climate Action. I remember, I remember the drought. I also remember the 10 and a half inches of rain we got in Los Angeles on March 1st that year. And I remember meeting uh, farmers in, uh, in in New Mexico who were, I mean, one guy was he was saying, you know, I'm pretty much done. You know, I can't compete with the political powerhouse in Santa Fe that, mm-hmm. you know, wants, he wants more access to water for lawns, um, for new subdivisions. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I can't compete with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, the big question is what happens to food? What happens to the food supply? I mean, in the case of this, we've got, we've got big farmers fighting little farmers. Well, and these big growers came in to this particular area that was farmed by many different people. Um, got a hold of a lot of the land, uh, and and because California can have this area of California, about 100 miles northwest of LA, can have a relatively arid climate. They do need uh, they do need the uh, irrigation, but the arid climate allows you to water the carrots periodically, let them go for a couple of weeks, and then go down farther mm. with their roots to look for water. Yeah. So you get that nice long carrot that can then be crushed up or chunked up into all <laughs> the little carrots, baby carrots right. that people yeah. are so fond of. And no, we've some, talked about that before. Now, a couple of these farms are, my, my understanding is they, they're huge. I mean, one of them, is it Grimway that uh, that farms like 20 square miles? Uh, uh, 20 I, I, square miles of carrots? I'm going to believe you because I did see that the, the tracts That's of huge. land were gigantic. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that takes all the water away from the well, other farmers. And to their credit, they're, you know, they're trying to inst- install more, uh, more environmentally friendly systems that use less water. But, you know, the bottom line is it's going to be becoming more and more of an issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just think it's really unfortunate and perhaps even wrong that all these small farmers are being forced to... Uh, you know, to pay these exorbitant legal fees against a company that probably has no trouble dropping fifty grand for an attorney. Yeah, it's uh, it's really tough. So to be fair, the um, the suit was filed two years ago. There's a hearing in January, but Bolthouse Farms did recently ask to withdraw as a plaintiff because um, they said the company doesn't have water rights as a tenant grower. Plans to uh, they plan to reduce their water use in the future anyway. But I mean, their their affiliate, which is again just another corporation, they they're still part of the suit. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. You know, we, again, we don't know all the details. We just see two farms, two huge farms, mega farms. One of them, twenty square miles. You know, kind of compelling small farmers to engage in a lawsuit for the right to use a basic resource that they all need. You know, and we've seen this before on different fronts. Uh, certainly, one of the most um, prominent. Uh, Far, you know, fights here in the, in the upper Midwest has been over um, Roundup, yes, and uh, and uh, dicamba. You know, other 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 chemicals that some farmers use and some don't, and those that don't get impacted by. That's it, right. You know, that's right. Anyway, we could have more conversation about that. It's a big world, and there should be enough room for everybody. Anyway, there's a boycott going on regarding carrots. Apparently, they're they're so, calling for it. They're calling for a boycott. We'll see where that goes. Kathy, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks to our guest today, Dan uh, Castrogano, with. Flight Free USA. Thanks also to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. 
Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Back next week, folks, with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio. I'm great for your skins, your teeth, and your gums. I'm crunchy like a chip without all the crumbs. So move to the beat and listen to my rhyme. Eat a carrot for a snack, lunch, or any time. I like carrots, and you should too. It goes crunch, 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 and it's good for you. We like carrots, and you should too. It goes crunch, crunch, crunch. Good for your health and so tasty. There are so many ways to make them for me.